Welcome back to the book club. I'm Michael Knowles. This month we will be reading King Lear by William Shakespeare, one of the great plays ever written. But before we get into King Lear, in our fast-paced world, it is tough to make reading a priority. At least it used to be. At thinker.org, they summarize the key ideas from new and noteworthy nonfiction, giving you access to an entire library of great books in bite-sized form. You can read or listen to hundreds of titles in a matter of minutes, from old classics like Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People, to recent bestsellers like Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. If you want to challenge your preconceptions, eh. If you want to expand your horizons, mm. If you want to sound smart at cocktail parties, that's very important. You have to go to thinker.org, T-H-I-N-K-R.org. No ease, no time for that, folks. Start a free trial, put your mind in motion. In the meantime, we will delve into King Lear with my guest, Douglas Murray, the international best-selling author of The Madness of Crowds, of Strange Death of Europe. These are books, Douglas, that paint I'm sorry to say, a bleak political picture. And I felt the only book that paints a bleaker political picture hmm. would be King Lear by William yes. Shakespeare. So thank you very much Not for coming on. It's a great pleasure. It's true. King Lear makes my work look like comedy. <laughs> this play, we've already done Hamlet. We've done the other greatest play ever written. And so now we're doing Lear. You know, at least in Hamlet, there are a few light moments. There are a few, a few moments hmm. of levity, some kind of fun. King Lear, not so much. It is all tragedy all the time. Yes. I mean, there are tiny moments of yeah. uh, comic alleviation, but they are all themselves bleak. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the fool famously in Lear is one of the only characters, becomes the only character who can tell the truth to the king. Yeah. And he, his truths are not that funny, but are incredibly accurate and hurtful if you're the king. Right. Uh, devastating if you're the playgoer. It is a play about uh, human beings in extremis. Uh, it's about what we can be pushed to and what we cannot any longer put up with. It, it is one of the, the greatest and, and most moving, devastating even, um, insights into us as human beings. Before we get into why this is one of the great plays, maybe the great play ever written, just in, I don't know, a minute or so, can we say what this play is about? I would say, King Lear, why not to be mean to your daughters? King Lear, why not to be, why you should pay closer attention <laughs> to, <laughs> to your family and your kingdom? What, what happens in the play? Uh, it begins with the king dividing his kingdom between his three daughters. Two of them give speeches of great love and adoration of their father. The third, the youngest, Cordelia, cannot do this. And she's cast out from the court as a result. Uh, simultaneously, we have the subplot of Gloucester, who discovers his own family disaster. One of his sons, illegitimate son Edmund, claims that the legitimate son, Edgar, is trying to kill him. Very confusing, by the way. Very confusing. Ed, Ed, Ed Edgar, very... Edmund. Um, but uh, he finds this out and his legitimate son, who is not trying to kill his father, also has to flee. Mm. So everybody ends up fleeing. The king, uh, Lear, finds himself having to flee. He, having left his throne, finds that there's nowhere in the kingdom for him. He seeks sanctuary with his daughters and 
they end up not giving him sanctuary. These are the evil daughters. The evil daughters. And uh, he ends up uh, maddened on the heath, uh, losing his mind, accompanied by his fool. Um, his youngest daughter, uh, Cordelia, returns from exile with her husband to try to take back the kingdom, uh, is captured, is briefly reunited with her father, is then murdered in prison, and her father comes in at the very end with the body of his daughter and himself dies of grief. This is a kingdom in which everything has fallen apart. The good have to flee. Yeah. The insincere are triumphing. Right. And the center doesn't hold, to quote Yeats. The whole thing falls apart. People have to flee. Lear tries to get uh, um, hospitality even for his remaining court at his daughter's house. And in the end, because he's not a king, they don't need him anymore. Right. And he can't find the hospitality. And of course, by the end, or by halfway through the play, Lear is uh, staggering around on the heath, mad. The play really follows this greatest of falls from, not grace, but power. And throughout it, obviously, the, uh, the human dynamics change, but really they, they change in one direction, which is deterioration. The challenge almost throughout Lear is whether human suffering in any way leads to enlightenment, or whether it's just suffering. Right. And you see, as, as Lear winds up wandering, he's now lost his army, he's now lost his kingdom, he is broke, you know, you see him more or less as a beggar. You see Edgar, the, the good son, a very bad idea, by the way, to name two sons Ed. That's yes, very, very confusing yes. as a general rule. That's right. But the good Edgar, the Edgar is, is walking around, he pretends to be a beggar. That's he plays right. a beggar because he's fleeing from his father. His father winds up absolutely, or the Earl of Gloucester winds up completely out of fortune. Yes. And, and this is a theme that keeps coming up, is this, this wheel of fortune, this idea that yes. a man is pinned to the wheel of fortune and sometimes you go up, yes. sometimes you go down. And, and, and the good not only have to flee but disguise themselves. Ed, Edgar has to disguise himself as a beggar. Another nobleman, Kent, disguises himself in order to escort Lear by the point to which Lear is otherwise aided only by the jests of the fool yeah. who is still with him. Um, and and this, uh, this, this whole idea that in, in a way the, the good have to disguise themselves is, is the epitome of a kingdom that, is, that has fallen into tyranny. So many things in Lear are, are things that echo. It's why people regard it as being a masterpiece it is. Um, what do you do in terrible times? What do you do if your family were turn, turning against you? What you would do if the kingdom turned despotic? Yeah. And what you do in time itself. I mean, time itself is a sort of character in the play. Yes. And so uh, I remember Stella Adler, the great theorist of acting, once said that uh, you can't use your own personal experiences to play Hamlet. Unless you're Danish royalty, you have to use your imagination. Mm. But, but uh, and of course, I think she's overstating it there. Mm. Here, though, I don't need to be a king mm. to, to realize what time does to people, that time actually does uh, diminish your power. It diminishes your influence. So many uh, aged people are cast aside, even if they were once powerful and magnificent. One of the things I find most moving about the play is the midnight that comes about halfway through, where Gloucester, the figure who mirrors uh, the progress of Lear, the decline of Lear, 
is at the house of one of the evil daughters of Leah. She and her husband carry out an act in uh, avenging themselves on somebody they see as contrary to their cause, a uh, famously blind uh, uh, Gloucester. They, they, they rip out his eyes. <laughs> yes. The moment this terrible thing happens, an extraordinary thing happens. Yeah. A servant in the household of Leah's daughter objects and stands forward and says to his master something along the lines of, he says, I've served you, master, many years. Um, and he says, but greatest, I think it's, but greatest service have I done, have I never done than now to bid you halt, yeah. something like that. He, the first servant, who doesn't even have a name, he's just first servant, uh, ends up getting into a fight with his, his master, a physical fight. He ends up being slain. Lewis makes an extraordinary observation about this. At the midnight of the play, this one unnamed character does the, perhaps the only <laughs> thing in the play that is unadulteratedly good. Right, right. And, and there's an observation to follow from that, which is that, that this unnamed, unremembered person who has, I think, less than six lines all told, is the person you should wish to be in the play. In our lives, we don't know what act we're in. First act of a play or the final act. It, it's midnight at this scene in act three, and the whole play will revolve around it. But the unnamed servant doesn't know that. All he knows is that something is happening which cannot be allowed to happen. And, and the unnamed servant says, oh, death, untimely death. Because yes. he wasn't expecting, he doesn't know what yes. act he's in in his own life. Exactly. But he does the right thing. He does the right thing, and, and we don't know if we're in a comedy or a tragedy, or both. Um, and we don't know how many lines we're going to get. Um, all we can try to do is to make sure that we speak the lines we have well, and do it right. And hope we don't turn out like these characters do in Lear. That's definitely an aspiration. This is some aspect of the play that I think is difficult to read, which is it just keeps getting worse. <laughs> it, it, even even mm. the fool is so sardonic. He's so, you know, it's so yes. biting. It's so brutal. Perhaps one of the, the most moving scenes, uh, aside from Leah going mad on the heath, is the scene in which Gloucester, now blind, is and there are so many things in this play that, that have entered the lexicon. Yeah. Um, Gloucester Blind is now actually being guided by, he doesn't know it, but by his son Edgar, yeah. who is in disguise, leading his blind father. His blind father wishes to kill himself, and Edgar leads his father to what he says is the cliff of Dover Beach. He's, he's not very subtle about it, Gloucester. He says, I want you to lead me to that, the very furthest edge of that cliff yes. that's very, very high up. What for? Oh, no reason. I just would like yes. you to take me there. Edgar realizes his father's going to kill himself. He decides to effectively pretend to help him, but, but not. Yeah. So that this man who has fallen all the way ends up being misled by his son in disguise and cannot even kill himself because his son leads him to what is not an edge. He just falls forward right. and is on the ground. He discovers his son, uh, and he discovers the truth of what has happened to him, and the son that has remained loyal to him, who he has been so cruel to, albeit because he was misguided by his 
evil son. But uh, so we lose Gloucester at that point. Uh, then uh, we lose Goneril and Regan. There's a one poisons the other and then kills herself. And Cordelia comes back from France with her with her husband, the French king, to try to take back the kingdom. In any um, Hollywood production which hadn't been bothered by the hand of a genius, yeah. <laughs> um, this would be the victorious moment right. where the kingdom was saved. But this isn't so. Yeah. Um, uh, Cordelia is is captured. She ends up being imprisoned with her father, yeah. who also, again, in this thing of the two plots mirroring each other, who, who in the madness appears to recognize his true child. And there's a beautiful, one of the greatest moments of poetry is, is we too will sing like birds in the cage. Sing like birds in a cage. And, and what he's describing is, We'll just laugh about old times, yes. and I mean, it's he a, says, and we'll we'll talk about court news. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we'll gossip. Yeah. He and he has this vision of it, but uh, this doesn't happen. Cordelia is also then executed yeah. at the very end, as Lear dies after cradling the body of his um, murdered daughter, Cordelia, with, by the way, one of the again one of the the great speeches. As he as he howls like he did on the heath, where he yep. howls in madness and insanity, but here howls in grief and something more, um, and dies of a broken heart, having realised what has happened, and then there's this glimmer of hope at the end, when two of the survivors, including the good son of of Gloucester, who's killed the bad son in a duel, at the very last lines step forward to be ready to take over the kingdom and... What remains of the kingdom? <laughs> yes. This final political moment does remind me that this is a political play. You know, there's mm. a line, it's not even one of the famous lines, but it was a line that struck me as particularly resonant now in our mm. time, which is, Gloucester says this in Act 4, he says, Tis the time's plague when madmen lead the blind, mm. right? Because his, mm. his son, f pretending to be a mad beggar, uh, is mm. leading him who's now been blinded. And I thought, it made me think of, I don't know, like Kanye West or something. It made me think that we are the, some of the, some of the people who actually might be leading us are, uh, seem like they're kind of crazy people. And we are a, a blinded civilization. We don't, we don't see what has happened to us. We don't see where we come from. We don't see our past. And it strikes me that what destroys this kingdom is an act of filial impiety. Mm. You know, these children mm. are being very rough on their parents, on their fathers, and and vice versa. You know, mm. it opens up with, yes. with the uh, father being very rough on his daughter. Yes. Is Shakespeare making a political comment here about the, the relationship between the generations? The relations in almost everything, the relations with loved ones, the relations with power. I mean, that's one of the overwhelming themes of Lear is, is a reflection on what power does, yeah. how it not just corrupts, but corrodes. In the world of King Lear, everybody is potentially mad or can be driven mad. Everybody is a fool. I mean, Cordelia is a fool at the beginning for right. not playing the game in some <laughs> ways. Yeah. Um, even the good characters, uh, Gloucester is, um, uh, from the outset, is uh, I mean, all sorts of things to be said about him, but he's, he's not an evil man, yeah. 
but he does an evil thing because he's stupid enough to believe one of his sons when that son says that the other son is trying to kill him, and he believes it. And as a result, everything in his own world, never mind the world of the kingdom, right. is torn apart. So it's this world in which anyone can be misled. Everyone can muck up so badly they destroy everything in their, their family and in the kingdom. And, and, so, and everybody can be in disguise. Yeah. Everybody can lie and mislead and be misled. The people with power aren't necessarily the people who deserve to have power right. or know what to do with it. I mean, Goneril and Reagan, the two evil daughters of Lear, clearly with their husbands want power, yeah. but have no idea of what they will do with it right. and right. end up just corrupting and corroding the, the kingdom further. And Lear, who thinks he knows what he'll do in retirement, has no idea of what happens to a king divested of, of the garments of power. And, and pride seems to displace their reason from the very outset, yes. right? I mean, the yes. very first scene is this perfect embodiment of pride. He says, I'm going to divvy up my kingdom, uh, now flatter me. And when you yes. flatter me, I'll, I'll give you this. And, and maybe the most famous, one of the most famous scenes in it is in Act 3 when Lear cries out and says, blow winds and crack your cheeks, rage, blow, you cataracts and hurricanoes spout till you have drenched our steeples, drowned the cocks, goes on and on. He's crying out yes. at nature itself. Yes, that, that's um, one of the scenes that the actors who play Lear are always judged by and love. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a great, um, um, it's a great moment. Some ham actors can somewhat <laughs> um, overdo the scene. It's hard well, once or twice, I think. It has been that. known of. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, this is, this is Lear, an extremist on, on, on the heath, uh, uh, becoming mad. And uh, it's again, it's one of the most pitiful things in the play. Is 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 watching a man who had sense losing his mind, yeah. and it's terrifying. I mean, this is one of the things which I think causes the play to continue to be so important. Is that we recognise elements of it in our own lives, right. in the lives of those around us. That Lear ends up completely losing his sense of himself. Um, he has to ask himself who he is. He a, a number know. of characters do this. Edgar, the good yes. son, says, Edgar, I am nothing. I yes. am not Edgar. What is Edgar? What am yes. I? Yes. Uh, this is what, it, this is, it's so, like so much of Shakespeare, it, it's, it, certain lines resonate as if they were written yesterday um, because they, they, they tell us something we had intuited but hadn't said about, for instance, the dissolving of character, the dissolving of a mind, the falling apart of a mind. And then the reflection on what, what you or we should or can do in those circumstances. You know, Lear howling into the hurricane right. is the howl of humanity in the situation we find ourselves in, in a beleaguering world, the point of which has not been adequately explained to us. <laughs> And you can howl at the wind, um, and you can lose everything in it. I mean, this is the the the, the, the heath is obviously a, um, among much else a sort of metaphor um, that Shakespeare uses, a place in which people lose themselves and find themselves. And this and this crucial thing again of this 
do we learn anything from suffering? Right. You know, is it pointless? There's no way in which Lear can be returned to his throne. It, it cannot happen that way. He, mm. he cries out, not just against the wind, he cries out against his two evil daughters. Yes. He's, I'm going to get you. I mean, it, yes. basically, I, I'll avenge myself. You're not going to see the things that I'm going to do to yes. you. And it's pathetic because you look at it and you say, of course he can't. Yes. He's, and if, even if he could, even if there were the political advantages that would allow him to, he's lost his senses. He can't. Yes. He's actually a senile old man. And he yes. talks about this relationship of age. He says, my daughters flattered me. They said mm. that I had white whiskers when they were still black. They're mm. Flattering me as though I had the wisdom of age before I did. Don't, don't we all do that? Yeah. And, and then when he does have these white whiskers, what do we do? He's cast aside. When he threatens revenges, is an incredibly familiar figure. I mean, we can recognize a part of it in ourselves in our less inglorious moments, right. or less glorious moments. We can recognize it in others. The idea, for instance, that with enough determination, rage, vengeance, violence, much more, you might change the course of things, is to some extent a maddening idea. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it literally deranges Lear. He's, Not just a mad idea, but a maddening idea. A maddening, it makes you exactly. go crazy as it as yes. you have it. Yes. And um, who hasn't seen somebody do a bit of that? Right. You know, the avenge I will have on this person for the slight, I believe. But uh, it, it also comes back to this, this thing, which actually it, it's in Hamlet as well. Um, it's it's, it's in, in many of the great tragedies, which is, the question of whether the thing done, a thing, a terrible thing done, can ever be undone. Right. Well, you see this at the very end, shockingly, one of the few moments of redemption you see in the whole play. Edmund at the very end, this bastard, awful, evil son, even, even he, as he's dying, tries to do a good thing. He says, mm. oh gosh, sorry, I put this hit out on Cordelia. Yes. She's going to go be killed in prison. Uh, maybe go try to save her. Obviously it doesn't work and Lear, mm. Lear comes back in with Cordelia. But even he, is, as the darkness is closing in, he says, let me try to do one good thing mm. at least. Yes. It's obviously too late for him as it's too late for Cordelia. Um, but these, it's another of the glimpses you get in the play, the, these little signs that Shakespeare gives you that it, it is possible, even at that moment, to try to redeem something. And it's it's one of the most profound aspects of the play this that this extraordinary bleak bleak landscape in which in which all of the characters find themselves nevertheless even the worst of the characters could if they had wanted to redeem something yeah they just repeatedly choose not to and suffer the consequences of it I mean, at, at the very end of the play, at the end of Act Five, Lear is, is is holding his daughter's body. He comes to his senses again, like again, like Gloucester, yeah. just before the end. Yeah. There is a moment of recognition in which he learns everything that he could have learned in the rest of his life and didn't. He has this, this pitiful speech as he he says um, he's testing her. He, he thinks maybe there is breath in her body uh, and as if he could wish her back to life. And he says at the end, he says, um, no life. Why should a dog, a horse, a rat have life and thou no breath at all? And then he starts to dream that her lips are moving and his last words, is he says, look on her, look, look her lips, look there, look there and eyes. And 
it's uh, it's certainly done well in the theater and it's quite hard to do that scene badly but done well it's it's one of the most moving scenes in in theater that that he finally cradling his daughter's body um, finds out the thing he should have known at the beginning he should have known who to love who to trust he should have known among much else the potential costs and the consequences of the the game he set in motion. He should have understood the world he was in more accurately. And we, the viewer, the audience, the reader, obviously have the opportunity to judge Lear as every character in the play we have the opportunity to judge. But the real question we have at the end as the smoke starts ever so slightly to clear is whether we would have done any better right. in the circumstances that the characters find themselves in. I think, by the way, I think that's one of the reasons why this, this play has endured and has spoken to people. Because, of course, in some societies, uh, America, you might say, is one of them. You know, um, there is a narrative that everything can come right. You're right, right. Um, Never too late. Yeah, uh, Alan Bloom once described a form of American nihilism, which he said is nihilism with a happy ending. <laughs> um, things don't just work out by some cosmic fluke. They can always become better or worse, made more maddening or more sane by the actions of the people in it, in the society, in the play. People have given accounts across the centuries of of finding in Lear this reflection of their own lives, of their own situation. Right. The reflection that doesn't just fall out better by chance. It all relies on the actions of absolutely every individual on the stage. And you mention in Lear's final lines, talking about Cordelia's lips. And you'll recall when, when he is waking up, he's sort of asleep, he's in this stupor. Mm. What wakes him up? Cordelia's lips. It's mm. Kisses from Cordelia's yes. lips. She says, my lips will be your medicine. Yes. Lips, which seems to me, obviously it's an it's a image and it's, it's a commentary on speech and on language, yes. on the, what lips do, how, yes. we, how we can hopefully learn these lessons before that very last moment. That's right. The, the lips got her and indeed him into the position, didn't right. they, at the very beginning. Right. Um, and also have this curing potential. Yes, you're right. A lot of things in the play come around like that. Um, disguises that turn out to reveal truths. Um, madmen who turn out to be the only people who are sane. Fools who are the only ones who can speak the truth. Right. You know, the whole world thrown upside down. But by being turned and thrown upside down and jumbled is somehow made more clear. And I think that's a good pitch, by the way, for the play, that in uh, seeing these truths, these parallels to our human nature and to our own lives, we can uh, hopefully avoid the maddening mm. uh, lies that will destroy our kingdom and our lives until mm. at the very last second we find out it's too late. Or you could just, you know, read these things and you sort of try to understand those truths while you're still moving and still breathing. Douglas, we could talk about this play for another 30 hours probably. Sure. And perhaps we'll have to do that next time you're in the States. Douglas Murray, you should of course go out and read Strange Death of Europe. You should read Madness of Crowds. Those can be the two books right after 
you read King Lear. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a great pleasure. Mine as well. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Book Club. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for watching this episode of The Book Club on PragerU. PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so we rely on donations from viewers like you to keep this content on the air. Please consider making a tax-deductible contribution today to help keep this content coming. Thank you very much.